So real quick, before we start, uh, we are into a new series today. Uh, we're going to do this for six weeks, and uh, it's really intentional. This is setting us up for what we have for two weeks at the end of October, which is a missions focus. But it's all about living your faith outward, building these gospel-centered relationships with those around you. And the thing about this is it's a consistent biblical call in many different ways uh, that, that we are to live outwardly with our faith. And we're looking at six distinct uh, commands or calls in our life. Uh, but until we do this intentionally, until we really try to do this on purpose, our default is always going to be living inward and uh, thinking of ourselves first and foremost. And our, our society is kind of built that way. And what really made me think about this kind of series was a moment I had this summer uh, when I came home uh, from, from work and well, there's some new neighbors down our street that I hadn't met yet. And I realized that I had gone into my driveway, opened up the garage door, parked in it, and closed it before I even got out of my door. And that's just kind of how a lot of us do lives until we intentionally just walk out of our homes, walk into other people's lives, and be a part of it, and really invest in them. That, boy, that's, that's something we all face, something we all struggle with, is how do we make time, how do we stay intentional to live outward? And so today we're going to start really with the focus on how are we supposed to work together as a church? What does it mean to invest in one another first as believers? And so you can start opening up in your Bible uh, to 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to read uh, verses 7 through 11 today. But I think as a church, we're doing so much of this stuff well already. I think just yesterday, having Melissa here, thank you so much for all of your inspirational training and your messages to us of investing in kids. And this morning, we learned just about investing in, in others in so many ways, of loving them even when it's hard and knowing you have specific gifts. But this is an, an important part of Scripture because it's written to a church uh, that's, or a group of believers that's going through hardships, difficulties. And the default at that point is when you're feeling strain in your life is to look out for number one first, right? And these, these scriptures really tell us that it's about working with those around you, investing in them first and foremost. So as we understand that, we read these verses here, uh, starting in, in uh, verse, verse 7, 1 Peter 4. The end of things, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So we're going to see three distinct ways today that we can be investing in others. And just think of these, these three big words, love, share, and serve. But before we get to that, we kind of see a backdrop verse, uh, verse 7, uh, which can always be alarming at times when you read it. 
But it really it shows or displays for us that investing in others should come with a sense of urgency. And the Apostle Peter says that the end of all things is near. And I didn't realize how perfect this verse was to study today, uh, but then before the service I was reminded that it's also the Vikings' season opener. So the end of all things is, is near. They end bef- before they start. But this is one of those verses, it's not like Peter is the guy on the street corner with the cardboard sign saying, everyone, duck and shelter, watch out, panic, the end is near. But this is a reminder for Christians of how we're supposed to see life knowing that we're not guaranteed tomorrow that at any time God, Jesus, can come back and usher us into this age of perfection and glory. But until then, we have work to do. We have work to do. And there's some wrong reactions we have as Christians when we think about the end times, the last days, the return of Christ. And one wrong uh, reaction is skepticism. of Like, okay, yeah, it's been 2,000 years and it still hasn't happened. How do I know this is really going to happen? Well, well, Jesus promised over and over again that he's coming. We can look at this as fact and think of it as imminent. And what that means is that it may not happen now, but it will happen. And it could happen at a time you're not planning for. We also shouldn't look at this uh, and speculate and start looking at all of the world events and lining up our charts and our maps of how this verse could mean that. And, you know, Jesus talked very extensively about his return uh, in one of his longest uh, messages to his disciples in Matthew 24 and 25. He spoke many different ways of what it was going to look like while he was gone and when he returns, what we can plan on, how we should live. But five different times he said, you're not going to know. And it's not for you to know. And I think it's that way by design. If we knew for sure when Jesus was coming back, we'd procrastinate. We'd say, I got six and a half years to do the stuff he's called me to do. Or you have to live like it could happen at any time. Live with this sense of urgency that God could come back today that Jesus could come back at any moment, and so what he has for you to do, you should be doing right now. And the procrastinator's mantra is, why do today what I could put off until tomorrow? But the Christian's understanding is tomorrow is not guaranteed. If God has something for you to do, do it now. Do it while he's calling you to do it. And so we see quickly here that we're to be alert or be awake, be ready, Okay, to be sober-minded, and that means don't be distracted by all the different things, but be single-minded on the Lord and pray. One of the great opportunities of prayer is to seek God's will for your life, all right, and to know his heart, to know his heart, and he has a great heart for his people. But the main idea here is when you're thinking about investing in others and you sense the needs of those around you or you're feeling tugged or called towards something, don't put it off because the end of all things is near. Jesus is coming soon. All right, so now we look into uh, three distinct commands that we're given and how to live with one another. And these are more of the, the, the specific ways to invest in each other. And the first is that we're to love each other in a profound way, all right? Not just the easy or the cheap or the convenient way, but a deep and a profound way, as we read in, in verse eight, that above all, Love each other deeply. 
Now, this being the first in a list of commands for the church, above all, really means this is the most important, or this is the starting point of the rest of this. All right, if you can't love other people deeply, then the rest of it's just not going to make sense and it's not going to work. But love one another deeply. And this is one of those phrases, one another, that pops up in the Bible a lot. Right? When you think about outward faith, relational faith, one another, that phrase is found over a hundred times in the New Testament alone, and we're going to see it a handful of times today. But one another is this idea of mutual and reciprocal relationships, that me loving you deeply also means I can trust that you'll love me deeply. All right? One another is an important concept in the Christian life. But this echoes of Jesus, the new command of Jesus, that we are to love one another as he has loved us. All right? Love one another with the same love that Jesus loves you, which if you think about it, is a tall order. All right? It's nearly impossible. One thing we need to make clear is that, one, we can never truly understand how much Jesus loves us. All right? We can try and we'll continue to grow in that understanding, but we'll never truly know. And in our own strength, we can never love people the way he loved us, at least to that magnitude. So this command of Jesus to love each other as he has loved us, is one of those things that we will continually grow into, all right? And if you're a Christian that says, I've kind of got this down, I don't feel like there's anything left to grow in, just look at that one command from Jesus, which is echoed in this command here. We will never love each other the way Jesus loved us, and it's something we can always grow in, and it's only possible through his strength. But to love each other deeply literally means to love each other at full stretch, all right, that means to the greatest extent of your ability. It's a profound sense of love, just like an athlete stretching for the finish line, giving every last ounce of energy they have before they collapse. All right? That's the way we're to love one another. And by this, Jesus says, if you love each other in that way, the world will know you're my disciples. It's, it's basically the validation of our faith in Jesus if we can love each other this way. But just like the lesson that Melissa shared this morning, the prickly pineapple, we can come up with all of the exceptions, right? We have our lists of people that are just too hard to love, you know, Sally, and I don't think we have any Sallys here today, I'm trying to use generic names, but Sally is the one who just always complains, and Bill just is this incessant talker, and he drains me, and Irene, she's just not very spiritual. Tim just doesn't get along with Ben, who's my best friend, and the list goes on and on and on. But here's the sobering part of this, if you operate in that way, you're on someone else's list, all right, for some other kind of reason. And it becomes really easy to list all of the ways we can't love each other. Right? That's, that's the easy thing to do, but the command and the expectation from Jesus is that we love each other anyway. So this command, love each other deeply, poses a problem. It's hard. It's nearly impossible. But the solution to that problem is love. It's supposed to blow your mind a little bit. Love is the problem and the solution. All right? Love covers a multitude of sins. And what we see is that though we may have a whole list of offenses against each other, either real or imagined, 
that love stores up no memory of wrongdoings. Love is able to cover up those things and we're able to love each other anyway. Love fulfills its greatest purpose when it's directed outward. And it's a great investment for the kingdom that when we love each other deeply, even to the point of covering up all of these offenses and these sins of one another, that people know we are his disciples, that the kingdom grows, and there's a great investment that pays off in his kingdom. Now, the second point we see today, the commandment, is that we are to offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. And the point we're gonna, that, that we're beginning of this is that it's about sharing our lives together, okay? And, and to get to that point, we need to open up our definition of what hospitality means. And oftentimes, we woefully underdefine hospitality. We think of it kind of as meals and lodging. And those are certainly great parts of hospitality, a, a real basic part of that. But we think of it as those Instagram shots, right, where there's this, there's this perfect flatware uh, decorated napkin centerpiece combo, and it looks perfect, and then within two seconds, it's all messy anyway. But you have this, this, this great meal, or you have someone stay over, and, and you're very hospitable. But real hospitality goes beyond the scheduled and the planned. It goes beyond those things that are events, and it really becomes a part of our attitude as Christians that you have a hospitable spirit, okay? And, and hospitality is a spiritual gift, but it's also a general command for all of us. It may be more natural for some than others, but we're all to be hospitable to one another. And the real idea of hospitality is sharing your life with people. Sharing your life. And we understand hospitality at this time, when this was written, the communication was very different. They didn't have emails and texts and calendars to plan things out weeks in advance. But you would have traveling preachers and evangelists who would somewhat schedule their, their routes, but they often went kind of wherever the wind blew them. They don't know where they'd be and for how long, and so they might come into town and need a place to stay, and it could disrupt someone's life for days or weeks, all right? And when they even met as churches, they didn't have a church building like we have today, all right? They had house churches, and often in these persecuted areas, they had to, to, to move these meetings uh, frequently. They always couldn't plan out when they'd meet. It might just be when the opportunity arose. And so as this, this continued attitude of, I'm willing to uh, take a break from my busyness and my, my personal privacy and holding on to all my things and now share with those who have needs when they arise. Hospitality is an attitude. It's a commitment to do life with other people. To have each other's backs is another way of saying it. But hospitality is more about how you view people than how you prepare things. Right? So when we understand this call towards hospitality, it's being there for each other and sharing life with each other and to do it without grumbling, without complaining. And I love how honest the Bible is at times where it's kind of like, eh, Yep, God, you got me. Okay, you heard what I murmured under my breath. I'm doing this with the wrong spirit, but we're to do it joyfully with one another. We get to share life with one another. And it's funny how God works uh, sometimes. Because last night, I was kind of going over what we're gonna, 
be sharing today and is on this verse, so it's kind of like thinking, all right, what are the points? And bzz, my phone buzzes, and it's my brother-in-law texting uh, me and Mandy, and can I stay at your house for a night next week? It's like, well, if this is an instant application, I don't know what is. It's like, of course, we would love to have you stay with us, right? And, and we do, we do. But it's that mentality of always, willing, be, always uh, being willing to share life, to do life with one another, and to do it joyfully. It's a privilege for all of us. And it really opens up our minds uh, of what church is, right? That's another term that we woefully underdefine. Uh, under and we think of church as the building, as the place, as the time. Church is 10:15 on Sundays. But church has always been and always will be the people. It's the body of Christ. It's our relationships with one another. And when we look at church the wrong way, we, we define success in the wrong metrics. And so what makes us a successful church? Well, that we had uh, more people in these pews per Sunday this year compared to last year. Or that we have more money in our budget to use for various things. And those things are, are somewhat signs of a healthy church in, in some ways, but really what makes a church healthy is the relationships, that sharing of life with one another, and that commitment joyfully to continue to do that. And so that's part of our vision as a church. I'm going to invite Pastor Chris up. Now, he's our, our uh, associate pastor of worship and also discipleship. And what he's been doing over the last year is really helping to formalize our discipleship or fellowship uh, opportunities as a church. And one of our, our vision as a church is to connect with God, to connect with others, and to connect others with God. And so we're going to really focus on connecting with others and the opportunities we have for that. And with that, we kind of have one big umbrella that we call connection groups. And we hope that everyone who comes here regularly on Sundays would also be involved in some sort of connection group where you can share life with one another. So Chris, why don't you explain to us what kind of options we have uh, for connections groups here? So the various options that we have under the umbrella of connections groups, we have life groups, and then we have Bible studies. So those are, we are, some of them we've already been doing for a very long time, so it's just asking you to get it plugged into those various options. So there's a little handout that's in the lobby that's also in your bulletin as well that you could just check out the various options and various things that we really would love everyone to just get plugged into one of those things. Yep. So Bible studies and life groups. Yep. And so we have this handout that's a little bit more general in information, uh, but we have a lot more information online. And so talk to us more about how we can find more info there. Yeah, no, exactly. So these are just the very general options here on the uh, little sheet. Thank you, Kylie, for designing this. And then also we have a video here to show you. Uh, so this is mpcommunitychurch.org slash groups, or you can find it on our website. These are the very options that we have on our groups. And if you click on a group, you'll see the full schedule of the group right then and there. And you can also just join the group there. And so you can see it, it's just looping. So you click Bible studies, whatever you want to do. And right here, I mean, some of you might not be able to see it from the back. <laughs> but if you have any questions on how to view these things or to view the full schedules of the various groups, please talk to me. I'd like, I know, in-person, face-to-face dialogue is also my preferred method as well. So if you have any questions on schedules or anything like that, I'll help point you to those resources, the full schedule that is listed online. 
And the other side of this, too, is our Sunday morning opportunities. Obviously, you're here, so you know about the 1015 service. Uh, if you're here at 9 o'clock, that's another option we have. And some of those groups, uh, like the ones that the Mets teaches, is, is a lot like a small group. And that's just another way to be connected with people, another great option. And so if you're not sure where you might fit in, this is where Chris uh, comes to help. And he, do you want to wear a cape when you talk with him? This big problem, how do I fit in? You can Yeah, uh, exactly. I'll just wear a superhero. All right. I just want to see him in a cape. I've always but, wanted to wear a cape. Yeah. Uh, but he'll, he'll talk with you. He'll, find, he'll help you find the best way to be connected with others and, and get in those situations to share life. But another thing we do, kind of as requested, is help people get paired up with mentors. So if you want to be a mentor to invest in someone's life, if you want to be a mentee to get partnered with someone here, that's another option, and we've, we've made some of those connections. Some of those people are, are meeting uh, regularly, uh, but just another thing. Talk yeah, and that's something where it's just like, if you want to, I mean, I know that those relationships already exist here in the congregation. There are people who meet weekly for coffee, and it's just, hey, how are you, how are you doing? How's life going? What's going on with that? And you can meet weekly, or you can meet monthly, and sometimes it's just a, uh, one of the best, or some of the best mental relationships that I have had was, hey, like, I'm helping set up sound here, uh, setting up all the cables. Do you want to come help and join along with me in setting up the cables? Because I've had, I've been with people who've just had rough pasts. They don't really have a good family background, and it's just like, hey, can you can you just come with me and we'll help run patch. We'll run the cables together, and you could just help uh, do this with me, and then we could talk life while we're doing things. Because there's some people who might not just, hey, let's talk over coffee. Hey, let's let's do something together. Let's grab a hammer. We'll hit some nails together. I mean, I. <laughs> Whatever it might be, but it's just doing life together, and it's just connecting with those others, and just kind of as Melissa shared this morning in Sunday school, it's just being intentional about that, bringing alongside someone with you to help do something, someone who's younger, and bring along with you along with what you're doing, and then conversations will sprout amongst that, and being intentional amongst that. So thank you, Chris, for that. And that's another thing. If you have any questions, you talk with me. I'll probably refer you to Chris, but he's um, really, in, we're all intentional about making sure everyone has that way to be in these uh, different ministries to share life with each other. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. All right, so that is what we just went off on. That hospitable spirit is about wanting to do and committing to do life with one another, sharing your life with other people, but also uh, serving one another. That's the last point we have today that we'll touch on pretty quickly. And what, what Peter is getting at here, uh, that when each of you should serve one another, or you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others, he's, he's talking about your spiritual gifts. All right? And we're going to talk very generally about spiritual gifts this morning. Um, but there's five basic understandings we need to know about spiritual gifts. And the first thing is that they're not our gifts. All right? You weren't born with these abilities. It's really not about you. These are a gift of grace from God. All right? And when you become a believer, he equips you. He gifts you in different ways. All right? We're all gifted differently is the second thing. We're all very unique all right? and, and some of you are going to look very different from the other person. That's by design, uh, but it wasn't on accident. And so the third thing is that all of our gifts are given with a specific purpose, all right? and that's to serve, to be used, and that by doing that, we build up the kingdom of God and edify the body. The fourth is that no gift is better than another. All right? So one gift that I've been given is speaking or teaching, 
But that doesn't make it any better than the other person who has the gift of hospitality or serving. Right? God uses all of these gifts, and, and as he, the analogy is given in 1 Corinthians 12, the eye isn't more important than the foot. So, so stop comparing yourself with one another. All right? The way you are gifted is on purpose and with purpose, and all of them work together. That's the, fi- the fifth thing is that all gifts are complementary. And together we're like puzzle pieces that create a beautiful picture. And if you're a piece of the puzzle that's missing, the picture is incomplete. The church only works, this church will only work if everyone is serving and using their gifts to serve one another as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So three quick observations from this verse. And the first is, is, the, is these, these first five words. Each of you should use. You should use the gift. And research shows that only 15 to 20% of people actively serve in a church that they attend. I don't think that applies here. And we kind of went through it as a staff. We have a lot of people serving, so thank you. But the idea that someone else is going to do this uh, is an idea you shouldn't have in the church Use your gifts and use them specifically to serve others. This is not something that is meant to build yourself up, but you assess the needs of the community, all right, and you become plugged in to fill those needs through your service. The health and the effectiveness of any ministry, including ours, depends on this that you all are serving. To be faithful stewards of God's grace really uh, helps us to understand that, that when we are given God's grace, all right, now we can be a steward of that, a manager of that, and we can multiply God's grace in other people's lives. Just as he has graced us, now we can grace others with God's grace by serving them. That kind of reminds you of the parable of the talents where God had, uh, the, the, the master had given his, his servants some valuable things and one just buried it and said, see, this, this thing you gave me is safe and untouched. Well, that's not what God expects when he invests in you. He makes you a steward in order to share and to multiply that. But also that it comes in various forms. And there, once again, it shows the multifacetedness of God's grace, that he extends it to all of us, but in different ways. And that's one of the beautiful things about the Christian life, is that it's not this cookie-cutter experience. And so many world religions are built in this idea of uniformity, that everyone has to follow the same rules or reach the same levels of awakeness or enlightenment. But in Christianity, we're all so unique that no two people are alike, that God has something specific for you, and that every believer has a unique experience and a unique giftedness. But the main idea we get from this is that your gifts are not about you. They are about the body. They are about Jesus and glorifying him. We don't have much time to go over this today, but in verse 11, he really kind of generalizes it to the greatest extent, that if you are speaking or you are serving, you are to do it uh, with the words God provides or the strength God provides. And it's this idea that, again, your gift is not about you, It's about being Christ to the world, being his hands and his feet. We understand here as we close out that scripture 
that it results in something beautiful. That if you speak with the words of God, if you serve in God's strength, that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. That to him will be the glory and the power forever and ever. This echoes for me the same as Colossians 3.17, that in everything we do, whether in word or in deed, we do it in the name of Jesus Christ, giving thanks to him. Jesus said it in a different way, that we get his light in his dark world, and that we are to let our light shine before others that they may see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. The reality of outward faith is that you are given a light to shine, to shine before all people, that it's a precious gift to share with the world as we invest in others. But I just want to give you a three-word conclusion today, all right? It summarizes this whole thing. Look for ways to love, share, and serve those around you. Love, share, and serve. And by doing that, you invest well beyond yourself. You invest well beyond them. You invest in the kingdom of God as it grows and multiplies. And ultimately, uh, he's going to come back and he's going to finish what he started and his kingdom will be all that we know. Let's pray as we close. Lord, thank you for your great promises, for your great work in us, and what a relief it is to know that it's not about us. It's not about what we can do or what we can accomplish, but God, you have so much that you want to accomplish through us. So I pray, Lord, that we would be laborers in that vineyard, that we would go when we're called, that we understand uh, the the urgency to do what you've called us to do. But I pray for all of us now as we start to think about how we can apply this idea of outward faith, these commands today, that we would truly be loving others in a deep and a profound way, well beyond our own abilities, that we would love others as you have loved us, that we'd be sharing our lives, that we'd have hospitable spirits and overjoyed to be able to meet the needs of those around us. Uh, And God, that we would be using what we have, what you've given us, to serve others. So for all of us, that's going to be applied in very different and unique ways. So by your Holy Spirit, would you just prompt us? Uh, And God, would we be praying uh, consistently, how can we make this work in our lives, but lead us to those meaningful interactions and relationships Lord, that you be glorified, that you be praised, and that your light shines brightly in a dark world. We pray this all for your glory. In your name, Jesus. Amen.